You guys will take a seat. Amen. Let's thank Neil and our team for leading us this morning. Man. It's so good to be with our Norwalk campus family. For those of you that don't know me or it's been a while, my name's Todd. I'm another one of the pastors here. And uh, man, we've been looking forward to this morning and continuing our study in the book of Revelation. It's been some hard stuff, hasn't it? Some, some heavy stuff. And uh, so we thought, let's change things up a little bit. I, when Actually, 16 years ago, when I first came on staff at the chapel, uh, it was to help with our student and young adult ministries. And so I'm going to go a little old school youth pastor on you, and we're going to play a game to kick off our morning together. The game is called Pop Song or Psalm. Okay, now hang with me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a lyric. It's going to be up on the screen. And then you need to decide, is that lyric a lyric from a pop song or is that a lyric from one of David's psalms? All right, you, you with me? So don't give your answers out loud. Don't give it away with your snickers and your uh, laughs or, or, you know, just read the lyric and then you decide and let's see how you do after six different ones. All right, here we go. First one, lyric is, my sunrise on the darkest day. Do you think it's a pop song or do you think it's from the Psalms? Everybody got your answer? All right, that's Despacito from Justin Bieber. So, uh, yeah, if you thought that was a psalm, it might sound similar to a psalm, but that comes from Justin Bieber himself. All right, second one here. Here we go. Uh, but it is you, a man like myself, my companion, a close friend. Is that from a pop song? Or is that a lyric from the Psalms? All right, you guys got your answer? You ready? Okay, that's from Psalm 30, uh, 55, verse 13. 55, verse... How, okay, how, this, how are we doing? Like, how, anybody two for, two for oh? All right, hey, come on. Um, anybody real familiar with pop songs, right? Okay, let's try another one. Here we go. Uh, they swarmed around me like bees. Is that a pop song, or is that the lyric from the Psalms? You ready? Psalm 118, verse 12. That's from the Psalms. I, I thought maybe it was a pop song. You know, they swarm up me, around me like bees. Na, 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 na. I can hear Neil singing that. I mean, he'd do great. Uh, all right, next one. Here we go. And there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark. Wow. Psalm or pop song? Okay, that's actually, man, I thought, didn't you think that one had to be a psalm? Like, that just sounds like God's word, right? But that's actually a, a, a popular song right now called Scars to Your Beautiful. Maybe you've heard it. All right, here we go. I've forgiven it all, you set me free. I've forgiven it all, you set me free. Pop song or psalm? What are you thinking? How, you guys ready? Got your answer in your mind. Still time to change if, you know, if you're second-guessing yourself. All right, that's actually Send My Love by Adele. Okay, so our pop song people, uh, you know, if you know those lyrics, you're doing a dynamite job. All right, last one. The night will shine like the day. Ooh, is that a pop song or is that a psalm? Ready? Psalm 139, verse 12, the night will shine like the day. Actually, we're going to see a picture of that in the book of Revelation as we continue um, our study in the weeks to come. 
All right, so if you're wondering, like, Todd, why are we playing games and trivia in church? Well, there was, there was a reason behind it. Of course, you know, the, the, you know whether you uh, killed it with pop songs, hey, you made Justin Bieber proud today. If you were killing it in the Psalms, you made King David proud today. Um, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I didn't know any of those scriptures. And so, but listen, don't feel bad about that. If, if that's you and you're like, I don't even know where to begin in the Bible. I didn't know those things were in there. Let me just say, I'm so glad that you're here. We are a church that exists to help everybody move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. And I hope that maybe even today you'll, you'll be able to look back in years to come and be like, yeah, I remember I went to that church and, and I mean, they were playing a trivia game and I didn't know any of the answers and I didn't know anything about the Bible, but that was the day that I started to take God's word more seriously in my life. The flip side is some of you, you know, you were just slaying it with the scripture. You're like, I know it. I was in Awana. I, you know, hey, I did, I did bring, let's do a sword drill. You know, some of you are like, what's a sword drill? Uh, and, and like, you know, God's word, but here's the thing, even in knowing God's word, just because we know it, just because we could quote it, maybe, or just because we've got it memorized doesn't necessarily mean that God's word is alive in our life. And this weekend, as we continue in our study of the book of Revelation, we're going, to, we're going to see the importance, not of just knowing God's word, but of living God's word. Dallas Willard, um, prolific author and theologian, put it this way. He says, knowing about things, knowing what they are, being able to identify them and say them does not mean we actually believe them necessarily. He says, when we truly believe what we profess we are set to act as if it were true. Acting as if things are true means that in turn, we live as if they were so. So just because we know God's word doesn't mean we truly believe it and are living it. And in Revelation chapter 10, we're going to see the importance of God's truth come to the very forefront all right, so it's Revelation chapter 10. If you want to turn in your Bibles there or on your smartphone or if you want to follow along on the screen, that is fine as well. Uh, remember, the, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus to John the Apostle, and John was then relaying this revelation to these seven churches uh, of that day, and it's included in Scripture for us as a church to read and to learn from today. And John begins, John chapter 10, with these words. He says, then I saw, remember, he's having this grand vision. He says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Now, angels are mentioned 60 times in the book of Revelation alone. There's powerful uh, winged angels. There's uh, untold beasts that we don't even comprehend uh, that the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation. And here he says he sees this mighty angel, probably both majestic and huge. And then it says, and he was surrounded by both a cloud and a rainbow over his head. And it says his face shone like the sun and his feet were like pillars of fire. It says that this angel was surrounded by a cloud. Oftentimes in scriptures, a cloud, it represents God's judgment. And man, over these last few chapters in the book of Revelation, and still yet to come, we're seeing God's judgment being unleashed on the world 
at a future time. And it's meant to be a wake-up call for you and I to make sure that we know who he is and that, that we've given our lives to him so that we might escape some of this wrath that is yet to come. But in the midst of that, it says not only is this angel surrounded by a cloud, it says there's a rainbow also over his head. And the rainbow, it takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis. And if you remember Noah and the ark, and man, mankind has just gone off the rails. And God, it says, is grieved that he even made mankind. And he floods the entire earth. But even in the midst of that, he rescues Noah and his family. He shows grace. He shows mercy. And so, again, in the book of Revelation, as this angel appears and there's more judgment to come. In the midst of the judgment, there's also God's faithfulness, God's mercy, God's grace. And the rainbow is a reminder of that. That Even after God flooded the earth, he put a rainbow in the sky to remind us that he would never completely wipe out humanity. Well, we read on, it says, and in his hand, in the, in the hand of this angel, it says, was a small scroll that had been opened. It says he stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So you see how large, just majestic this angel is. And it says, then he gave a, a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered him. But it says in his hand was this small scroll. That word scrolls mentioned multiple times throughout the book of Revelation. It can mean a few different things. At some points, the scroll references the book of life. Uh, where, where those that have given their life to Jesus, their names are written down in heaven. But this particular reference to the scroll is a, is a reference to the truth of God's word or the fulfillment of prophecy yet to come. And it says this angel is holding this scroll in his hand. It says, and then the voice from heaven spoke to me, to John, and said, go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so it says, So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the small scroll. And this is what the angel said. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. And so John says, So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. And it was sweet to my mouth. But when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Now, the book of Revelation contains all kinds of amazing and confusing images. And this may be one of them. Why would this angel say to John, eat the scroll? <laughs> I mean, don't, don't start tearing pages out of your Bible and, 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 and swallowing them. I think what, what, what John was gaining a vision of was the importance of God's word, that, that we need to be taking in his truth and digesting it on a regular basis because God's truth is powerful. It, it's meant to both satisfy our lives and it's also meant to change our lives. And yet, how do we treat God's word sometimes? Like, like a little snack, like real quick, let's, let's, let's get that in. We treat God's word like fast food. <laughs> and what John is talking about here is, is like 
taking it in and savoring it like a fine dining meal where each bite, it's just like, ah, that's so good. And yet so many times in our busy lives, the time that we have really is what ends up determining how much time we take with God's truth. And we end up rushing to the next thing, checking off our devotions on our box, you know, quickly reading, glancing through the Beyond the Weekend devotion or, or in, a, in a Bible app. And next thing, I had to do that this past week. I had read this and, and you know, I went through my morning kind of devotional time and I read through it, you know, and it was good. I guess it was good because I hadn't paid really close attention. And I had to stop and I'm like, I need to stop, slow down, savor this. Let God's word really permeate my thoughts and my mind and my heart. This is what John is saying happened for him. It says that it was sweet. You see, God's word, it's meant to satisfy us. Now, at the core of our being, uh, in fact, Eugene puts it, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, we're trying to fulfill the desires of our trinity. It's, it's the trinity of our needs, our wants, and our feelings. Deep down, we're all trying to satisfy those things in our life. Peterson defines them this way. He says, my needs are my non-negotiables, and they often include fulfillment, sexual satisfaction, respect. Every one of us, we're looking to have those kinds of needs met, right? Or our wants. He says, the wants are evidence of my expanding sense of self, and they often require more and more things, services, power. Deep down inside, we're, we're hungering for these things, for more. And then my feelings, he says, my feelings are the truth of who I am, or at least that's how we feel at the moment, right? And I'm in constant need of valid, validation to combat boredom and loss and discontentment. And here's the thing, every single one of us, we're looking to have those kinds of needs met, and the world is, man, it's just, it's just preying on all of those needs, because that's what all the commercials are, and that's what, you know, the social media all is, and, and it's pushing us to just try to, you know, if, if we'll just get this, and if we'll just take that, and if we'll just be involved in that, and if we'll just attain this, then we will be satisfied. And yet there ought to be a disclaimer, a disclaimer like, you know, you know, you, you watch a commercial and it tells you about this awesome new drug on the market to help your heart and it sounds like, oh, that sounds awesome. That's going to work. And then all of a sudden at the very end, there's like a minute and 30 seconds of, and by the way, this, will, this can cause this. And this will, I mean, and it tells you all the ways that you could die, all the side effects that are horrible from, from, this, from this great thing that's going to help you, right? I'm thankful, for, I'm thankful for laboratories and I'm thankful for drugs that are there to help us. But when it comes to the meeting the deepest needs of our souls, there's only one thing that will satisfy, and it's God's truth. We will continue to try to fulfill those needs with other things, and it, it's like an insatiable appetite. And, and once you feed it, it just grows in hunger. And yet look at what, it, what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 48 and 49. He said, yes, I am the bread of life. 
He said, your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. But anyone who eats bread from heaven will never die. And when Jesus said these words, he was, he was giving us a promise that when we take in his truth and believe in Jesus, we'll never ultimately die. We'll have eternal life. And even beyond that, Jesus' promise to us is that we would have life and life to the full, even in the here and now. But that won't happen. We won't experience that kind of life unless we're feeding on the truth of God's word. It was sweet to the taste to John. But not only is God's word meant to satisfy us, it's also meant to transform us. Remember we said earlier when we were taking our pop quiz, like just knowing the Bible, that doesn't mean it's going to take root. It, 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 we, we might be just, you know, fast fooding it and it's never really giving us the deep nourishment in our life that we long for. But God's word is meant to both satisfy, but also to transform us. I love what Romans chapter 12, a very well-known passage, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And this is what it says at the end of verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. That is, uh, just don't go with the flow. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Because look at, look at how that's turning out. <laughs> just, everybody's just wanting and needing and longing for more. He says, so don't, don't just do whatever the world kind of is telling you. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, he says. Then, then he says, then you'll be able to know what God's will is for you, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, if you're here this weekend and you're a follower of Jesus, chances are you want to know what God's will is for your life. Like, what is next? Who am I to be? What am I to do? What should life be about? What does God want me to do next with my life? The secret God's own word says to knowing that is directly connected to God's word because it's God's word that then shapes and transforms our mind. And as our minds begin to change, our lives begin to change. It starts up here. And God's word has the power to both satisfy, but also to transform our lives. You guys, it's real. Now, some in this room have experienced the power of God's word. That it's, there have been moments where something, it, you, you read it and it, it was, it's like it just lifted off the page, or somebody was sharing it in a Bible study, or someone was speaking it from a stage, and it just, it, it, it went straight to your heart. It started to mess with how you thought, and it led to life change. But some of you here, you've, you've not experienced that yet. Maybe it's because we're not diving into it. Maybe it's because God's Spirit has not penetrated our hearts yet, and we've been kind of resisting but it has the power to change. We asked um, some of our staff members to, to share a story of a time when God's word changed their thinking, changed their lives. This is what one of our team members said. They said, I hated this man that had recklessly took my brother's life. I wanted him to go to prison, to never come out. I wanted him to know what he took from me. She writes, but then God spoke to me in my anguish from Deuteronomy 31, 18, which says, the Lord himself goes before you. 
He will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And she said, I gave it all to God, my anger, my sadness, my loss, and I forgave this man for what he did. Transformation. That's not, that is not truly possible outside of the power of God's word. Let me share one more with you. This person writes, I was a fairly, I was fairly, uh, I was a fairly new Christ follower. And my work management was, was tough on us. It felt like any time the manager came to talk to you, it was just because you weren't doing the right thing. And then I was, came across Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, that says these words, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master that you are serving is Christ. This person writes, for the first time in my life, I realized that my job was a way to serve Jesus. It changed how I viewed my job, and it changed how I viewed my manager. That was me. As a 17-year-old as a working at McDonald's in my first job, and for the first time in my life, I was starting to read God's word, and I wanted to know what he had to say about everything. And this boss was just always honest and down. And I can remember coming to those verses and being like, I don't work for you. I work for Jesus now. And so no matter, no matter what the situation, I mean, it didn't, it didn't change my boss. But it changed me. It changed my perspective. It changed how I looked at work And every single one of us tomorrow, we're going to get up and we're going to go to work of some sort, whether that's in a factory, in an office, at home with the kids, as a grandparent chipping in. And God's word has the power to recenter us and give us a completely new perspective. Only God's word can do that. So God's word is meant to satisfy us and to change us, but Remember, John said that not only was God's word sweet when he ate it, but it turned sour. He says, so I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel. I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth. But when I swallowed it, when he digested it, when he understood what it was really saying, he says it it turned sour in my stomach. So the question is, why? What made it sour? Well, it's what he talks about in verse 11. He says, Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, languages, and kings. John realized that what he had received from God, while it was sweet at first, he then recognized what God was really saying. And probably some of what he took in had to do with the future judgment that still was yet to come. He knew how God's truth was going to impact and change the world. How people were going to suffer. How there would be uh, great challenges. There would be continued wars and devastation. And now John was being commissioned to go and tell the people about that. Uh, one, One Bible commentator puts it this way. We'll put it up on the screen. They said, most men feel pleasure in looking into future events, and all good men like to receive a a word from God. 
But when this book of prophecy was thoroughly digested by the apostle, the contents would be bitter. For there were things so awful and terrible, such grievous persecutions of the people of God, such desolations in the earth that the foresight and the foreknowledge of them would be painful to his mind. In writing about receiving God's word, he says, the sweetness of such contemplations will often be mingled with bitterness while we compare the scriptures with the state of the world and the church or even that of our own hearts. Here's the thing about God's word. It is truth. And it's, the truth is not always easy to hear or to accept. And so God's word, it's meant to, to be sweet for us, to savor, to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. But in order to change us, sometimes it means facing ourselves, facing the truth about us, facing the truth about our world, facing the truth about the future. And now John was being commissioned to go and to prophesy, to share this news of what was yet to come with the rest of the known world. And that was going to be hard for John. He was overwhelmed at the task. He probably thought, how are they going to receive this? How are they going to respond to this? Why do I have to share these things with them? And you know what? We have people, you have people in your life that need to know about Jesus, that need to know about his truth. And yet, deep down inside, we get a stomachache thinking about like talking to them, sharing with them. And yet if you're here this weekend and you're a follower of Jesus, at some point, someone shared God's truth with you. And it changed your life. I can remember sitting in a little Bible study with a group of other high school students. And a lady by the name of Virginia Walker was reading God's word to us. And she read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 that says, it's by grace that you are saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that anyone could boast about it. And I realized in that moment, the way that I had been living, thinking that, hey, as long as the good in my life outweighs the bad, I'll be good with God. I remember in that moment being confronted with that truth. It was hard to hear. Like, my whole world started to cave in. Like, that, that verse in God's own word says that we don't go to heaven. We don't get saved by the things that we do. It's only by God's grace through faith as we believe in Jesus. And my friend leaned over to me and said, Todd, hey, you're, you're saved, right? And his question and that scripture combined, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I went home that night and I cried out to Jesus for the first time and said, Lord, please save me. And it changed my life. My whole life. I discovered a life of real love, a life of purpose and meaning that I was so searching for. A life that, it changed, I mean, the course of my education. It changed the course of uh, my, my career. And I will ever be grateful to Virginia Walker for having the courage to share God's word. And it's why I'm standing here before you today. 
to, for you to know that there is another way and that life change is possible wherever you're at, but it happens through the power of God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you love us and that you do not give up on us. Thank you for your revelation to John that is a revelation for the church then, and it's a revelation for us today. God, may we devour your truth. May we learn to savor each of your words to us. And then would you give us the courage and boldness to share it with others because it could mean complete life change for them as well. God, we commit ourselves to you and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and would you pronounce this benediction with me from Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Let's say it together. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Have a great rest of your Sunday.